we're in a phase that every influencer, every YouTuber, every media personality is this is the answer. This is what you have to do. And we are judging ourselves based off of what someone else does Mm -hmm. or says they have done. And when it doesn't work for us, we get really discouraged and frustrated and our self-confidence drops. And that's not the case. You need to do exactly this. You need to understand what works for you and pursue those things. Part four of our four-part study of Atomic Habits. We've made it, Tyler. We've made it to the end. (laughs) So if you've enjoyed this, sorry it's coming to an end. If you have not enjoyed it. Congratulations. Congratulations. Good thing. After today. (laughs) After today, we're done. So, yeah. So we've been going through the book uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. We've mentioned this before. It was the number one book on Amazon last year. So clearly, it's top of people's mind. And then obviously with the new year, new goals, things like that, we thought it'd be fun and, and a helpful to go through this book and learn about habits and how we can create better habits and how we can get rid of poorer habits. And I don't know about you, but I really, really enjoyed this discussion. I really enjoyed this book. Um, I've already read it through once. I'll probably read it again. And I couldn't recommend it any higher to people. Um, to, to read this book. So we'll jump into that here in a second to our last part here. But first, we've got our wellness tip of the week. And today we're going to talk a little bit about something called heart rate variability. Tyler, have you ever heard of heart rate variability? Uh, I've heard of it. Yes. Because you uh, wear a whoop strap. Because I wear a whoop strap. And yeah. I, and but I before your whoop strap. S- no clue. Never. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> like I see a number on my on my app, on the whoop yeah. app. And I'm like, yeah. okay, HRV, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. So I'm actually excited. So listeners, I'm going to come on the other <laughs> side and I'm going to listen intently yeah. as Ben educates yeah. us. Well, you know, it's something that I was first introduced to probably six or seven years ago before the whoop strap was a thing. Uh, and Ooh, it's, I'm Ben. <laughs> I knew about it before whoop came out. I'm kind of a big deal. But no, we would have some trainers at the gym and they would talk about this heart rate variability and this, and they would talk about, yeah, I'm not working out today because my heart rate variability, my number's not very high. And I'm sitting there thinking, first of all, what kind of wuss doesn't work yeah. out because some Sissy. metric says that they shouldn't? Because <laughs> that's what you think, right? You think, no, you got to get in the gym, you got to yeah. grind, you got to get after it every single day. That's yeah. that's at least my default. Right. That's what I think. Even if I'm tired, even if and now I granted there are times where yes, you do need to push through that that tired and just get it done. But heart rate variability, I would argue, is one of the most important and objective measurements for your physical fitness, not only your physical fitness, but also your readiness to perform. Mm. So if you're thinking about heart rate variability, it really does determine whether you are ready to take on strain for that day or ready to take on activity for that day. And in a literal sense, it's the variance. It it is what it says. It's the variance in time between uh, the beats of your heart. So, what does that mean? So it originates in your autonomic nervous system, which for those of you that don't know, that's your breathing, your, your heart rate, all those things that you don't have to actually you don't control, think, like about, think about. Yeah, control. Okay. It's, it's, it's how you live, right? It's your autonomic nervous system. And there's two branches of the autonomic nervous system. You've got your parasympathetic, 
which you may have may or not have heard, heard of your parasympathetic nervous system. You might be familiar with the term rest and digest. Have you ever heard of that, that term? Rest sure. and digest. <laughs> You've never heard that term? I like doing both yeah. of those things. So. <laughs> so your parasympathetic is your rest and digest. That's whenever you're relaxed and you're calm and you're okay. in your sleep and things yeah. like that. That's your recovery okay. is your parasympathetic. Your sympathetic, on the other hand, that's your stress. That's your fight or flight system. Okay. So if you're in the woods and a bear runs across your path, that's the system that kicks in that decides, should I run from this bear or should I fight it, right? So your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, gets you ready for action. That's your your sympathetic nervous system. So if you have a high heart rate variability, that means that those two systems are very balanced and they're in good control. So higher heart rate variability means balance. It means your body is ready to perform. It means you recovered well, everything's good. So on the whoop strap that both you and I have, when you see that number in the green and you see that HRV, that heart rate variability number high, that means you're ready to take on stress or strain that day. Your body's recovered. It's well rested. It's ready to go. Does that make sense? So the higher the number for your heart rate variability, the better. Okay. The lower the number, that means that you're out of balance or you're stressed or you're not quite recovered. So what does that translate to, to actual heart rate variability? Is that the time in between beats? It's a, yeah. It's so it's a, boom, boom. Yep. Yeah. It's the, literally it's, it's the variance of time okay. in between, in between the, the beats of your heart. Okay. So like so I said, you, if both systems are in balance, that, yeah. that is a, it's a controlled time or space in between those heartbeats. And it's consistent. Right. If you're, if your sympathetic nervous system is jacked up though, Uh your heart rate's beating super fast. Your variance is very small, right? And so your number is going to be lower there because there's not a lot of variance in your, in your heart rate. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So what affects HRV or heart rate variability? It's what we just said, whether you just did an intense workout and you're, you're recovering from that workout or more commonly it's your lifestyle. It's your habits that you, no pun intended, no, you know, ties along what we're talking about. It's your, it's your nutrition. It's your sleep. It's your stress management. So a lot of us live daily life. So your, your rest and digest, or I'm sorry, your fight or flight, your, your sympathetic nervous system, it's a good survival instinct. The problem is in modern society, a lot of us still live in that sympathetic state because of work stress, because of life stress, because we're always constantly on the go, go, go. Mm -hmm. We never give our body that time to rest and digest, to relax and recover. So if this, if I were to say, you know, someone that, that is consistently training, working out, um, they are training their cardiovascular system essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is to say, okay, Hey, when I work out, I'm not going to have this huge spike as opposed to in my parasympathetic state. Right, right. right. So it's it's not as much of a delineation between the two. Is right. that what you're saying? Yeah. So, so that way, the variation is not as far, right? right? From point A to point B. Right. So that variability is closer. Yeah. And so it, Yeah, and I'm not going to pretend to be the, the world's most, you know, biggest expert on this. Yeah. But yeah, the, the idea is that you live as much of your time until you need it uh-huh. in a parasympathetic state, in a rest yeah. and digest, in a relaxed, calming and I'm, ju- I'm just trying to think, you know, not everybody has a whoop strap or not everybody right. has an Apple watch or right. not everybody has, you know, a sleep number bed, which you should go to you your should. local store Absolutely. and try it out, <laughs> lay down. They're amazing. Because the sleep number bed actually yeah. tells you your heart rate variability. That's right. It gives That's you that what I'm saying. So, yep. so if someone can't measure it, you know, how does this, how does this apply to them? How is this something that they can consider 
or hey, this is the lifestyle I want to mm. live or be conscious of these, these things. And that's the problem. If you can't, if you're not measuring it, you mm. don't know. Yeah. Cause you can go off of feel, yeah. but most of us aren't that great. Most of us don't know our aren't bodies well enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Of, of, you know, cause you can be sitting there typing out emails and not really feel super stressed out, but your blood pressure's up, your heart rate's up without you really even knowing it. Yeah, I can write an email and not be super stressed, but then when I go back and reread it, re-read then I stress email, out because what the yeah. hell did yes. I just write? Yeah, so again, a lot of us live our, daily, yeah. our, our day-to-day life in that state. Yeah. And so if you don't have an active way to measure it, I guess, again, intuitively, you can, yeah. I just, I, I feel not great today. I yeah. don't feel, I know I worked out super hard yesterday. I didn't get great sleep. So that in yeah. that sense, you can probably say, "Hey, today I should probably take it easy." Yeah. But if you, it would be better if you did have a whoop strap or a heart rate variability measurement of some sort, or a sleep number bed, something that is giving you that. Because all it is is just another data point, right. right? It's just something that's giving you objective feedback. Yeah. Um, and so if you're thinking about ways to improve your heart, because again, a higher a high heart rate variability indicates that your body's in balance, indicates a good fitness level. So okay. how do you improve this? If you're somebody that's constantly in a stressful state, uh-huh. what are some things you can do to improve this? Were you about to ask something? Yeah, so I'm sorry. I'm actually reading it right yeah. now. So yeah. as we're looking at it. So I went from, just going to be real life examples. I'm putting, yeah. putting my business all on, on the streets go. right now. <laughs> is I went from a 19, 21, and then I went from a 21 to a 30. So heart rate variability? Yeah. Yeah. So when it spikes like that, is that hurt? that means so the spike there yeah. would indicate so the higher number would indicate that you're a little bit more ready to take on strain for that day. I would imagine that. <laughs> See, today felt like I needed a recovery day. Right, and, and that's the, and that's the other thing. And I think Dr. Andy Galpin ref- references yeah. there is a downside to these, t- and we'll talk about it in a little uh-huh. bit. There is a downside to these wearable measurements like this. Yeah, um, because you're right. Some days I'll feel on top of the world. And my recovery score will say, you know, I'm in the yellow whenever yeah. I feel great. And then vice versa, opposite, you know, I feel horrible yeah. and I'm in the green. So yeah. there is some, there is some, that, that's why it is important to start learning your body yeah. and feeling. Okay. And it doesn't make you weak or a wimp if you're not feeling it one day. Now yeah. you do got to be careful because you could get in a whole week of not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not it, feeling it right? today. And that's what I was going to say so when, when the, Trent the strap, Equinox yeah. was telling you that he, did, he didn't want to work out that day. Cause yeah, exactly. HRV. <laughs> and so that's, that's why you need to, it's good to have something like this yeah. that can give you that. So at least yeah. it's a data point that you can start with. Right. And then you can go from there. Okay. So a couple of ways that you can improve your heart rate variability. Number one is intelligent training. All right. Yep. That's obvious. Don't overdo it and push too hard for too many days without giving your body an opportunity to recover. So CrossFit, love CrossFit to death, but if you don't get an intelligent programming, and this is just an example I'm using, this could be anything, and you do six workouts in a row, six days in a row that just absolutely crush you, right? That's probably not the most intelligent way to go about it, right? Because you don't make the gains, you've heard, probably heard this, you don't make gains in the gym, you make them outside of the gym, yeah. right? That's, that's whenever the, the changes yeah. really happen. It's easy yeah. to think, I've got to go, I've got to work harder, I've got to do this, I've got to do more. Yeah. But really, it's your time outside of the gym. That's right. And so if you want a better heart rate variability, you want to be recovering that parasympathetic state, mm-hmm. 
you need to make sure that you're watching and you're you have some variation in your training yeah and i think that's and again i know you're you're wrapping this up with some more but that's the difference today i think in training today right is there's there's a more scientific approach to it uh you know traditionally it's just work harder and work longer yep just keep pushing keep pushing keep pushing Right. And then you're, you're getting plateaus and you're getting, and this doesn't apply just to working out, right? Like this, we're talking about a lot of different things. There's, there's importance. And I was talking to a, literally a, a a counterpart in the real estate industry last night and we wear ourselves out and had the importance of rest and recovery. And, and, but nowadays we, you know, we don't have the anabolic steroids craze, right. That they had in the eighties and nineties where they could just go, 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 go. But there's an actual scientific approach to it. Like, for example, you brought up CrossFit, like our head our owner of our studio, he's got a um, competition in two weeks. He's doing back-to-back weekends. He literally worked out three days this week and they were tough, but he took today off. And he told me, cause I worked out with him three days this week. And he's like, you need to take it off. Those were yeah. three really hard days. Yeah. Like, you know, go do some core, go do some, but like there's, there's a science behind it. And I think it's a lot of it is correlated with understanding this heart rate variability. Right. Because think about it, right? That's something that has now come to the forefront in the last five to seven years of, okay, how does how does this metric translate to performance? Yep. And understanding that is really important. Yeah, and it just gets you away from the Neanderthal thinking of, I just got to go, go, yeah. go, go, go. That's yeah. the best way to do it. This Fire, is yeah. actually giving you an actual metric and a measure yeah. of, it's okay to take yeah. you're actually going to be better if you yeah. take today off yeah because your body's not ready to perform you're yeah. not going to get a great workout in you're not going to recover you're not going to get those yeah. gains that you're looking for yeah. uh so intelligent training is one hydration the better hydrated you are the easier it is for blood to circulate and deliver oxygen and nutrients to the body avoid alcohol that's another one mm-hmm. so one night of drinking is they say potentially decreases hrv for up to five days mm. that's one night can screw you up for the next five days. So that's huge. Avoid alcohol. Steady, healthy diet. That's that's obvious, right? Poor nutrition has adverse effects on HRV, as does eating at unexpected times. So if you even have a bunch of variation in, in when you eat, that can also affect your HRV. Quality sleep. Again, self-explanatory. And it's not the amount of sleep or not just the amount of sleep that you get, but also the quality. We've talked yeah. about this before, yeah. right? And the consistency. So going to bed and waking up at similar times each day is beneficial. And then auto-regulation. So in general, trying to get your body on a consistent schedule, in particular with your sleep and eating, to align with circadian rhythm is helpful. Your body does things more efficiently when it knows what's coming. So this is just lifestyle, right? Being on more of a rhythm as opposed to just, you know, one day I stay up till 11 p.m. The next day I'm in bed at 6.30, whatever, right? Some sort yeah, of I train my body, you know, to adjust, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> just, to the keep it guessing, man. <laughs> just keep it guessing. Keep it on its toes. <laughs> so what's the big takeaway if you're if you're sitting here listening to this? The big takeaway is so rather than sticking to a predetermined workout schedule like we're talking about, modifying the intensity and duration of your physical activity based on your heart rate variability will allow you to train smarter and more efficiently. So when your HRV is high, your body's prepared to take on a greater workload. And when it's low, it's a sign to cut back. So again, yeah. if you have a whoop strap, if you have a sleep number bed, something like that that can tell you your heart rate variability, or if you're intuitive enough to just feel your body, understand that your performance is going to be affected by the heart rate variability, and that's yeah. why it's such an important measure. Yep. So um, that leads stuff, us, man. yeah. Thank no, you it, for it's, that. And and we talked about this last time. Whoop.com has amazing resources, and that's actually where I got. A lot of this information from they've got a whole tab there with tons of articles on this type of stuff so this stuff interests you if you're if you're interested in learning more 
definitely go to whoop.com. We don't have any association with whoop. Um, at least not yet, <laughs> but they are an unbelievable resource and, yeah. resource and they're changing the game from a health and fitness perspective. Yeah. So go check them out. That leads us to, uh, our discussion today. And before we get to our discussion today, um, obviously that, that segment's brought to us by our partners at sleep number, another partner of ours, Choctaw casino and resort. So we yeah. were up there last week yep. for unfortunately the Cowboys <sighs> loss. Right, yeah, but we up, went to their you? sports bar. Darren, Tyler, and I did. We're up at their sports bar called the League, and they had how many TVs? Would you say were in that sports well, bar? Well, okay, so I mean, just around the bar, probably fifty. Right, like because because they've got them wrapped around the inside yep. and then the outside. Yep. So so think of like the screen in the LA Stadium mm-hmm. in SoFi Stadium. Yes. How uh, they've got the inner screen all the way around it, and then they got the, the, outer, the screen. outer screen. Yep. So it's the same deal around right. the bar, which is massive. Yeah. But then they've got this one screen, and as I was going to make a joke, oh, one. They've got <laughs> one screen that wraps around the entire front of the space. So you literally have like this 360 view, I, would, I mean, essentially, of of screens everywhere. Yeah. And then they're playing, I mean, how many games? I mean, there was college I mean, wrestling. There was there had horse to be racing. A, there yeah. was. There had to be 50, literally 50 different events yeah. going on on these TVs. And, and two giant screens with the Cowboys game, again, wasn't a great result. But right. the point is, it was a watching experience mm-hmm. that it's been a while since I've had an experience like that. I, I would I would yeah. take that 100 times over actually going to a live game. Yes. It was that. And it was packed. There were people everywhere. There were Cowboys fans, and it was just a fun – again, the game didn't go well, but it was just such a fun – the food was great. Food was awesome. So next time there's a big game, we're definitely – anytime there's a big game, yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to be up there, and yeah. we couldn't recommend more. Again, that's the league at Choctaw Casino Resort. Unbelievable sports-watching environment. Food was great. Staff uh-huh. was friendly and awesome. And then, obviously, you got the – 3,000 slot I was going to say, yeah, the- you go there, and it's not like you, okay, go go to the game and leave. Yeah. It was like, unfortunately, it was very depressing, and <laughs> people were not happy, so the place cleared out fast, yeah. and I'm expecting, oh, my gosh, like parking and valet, getting yeah. out of here is going to be crazy. But guess what? Nobody left. Yeah. Like, they went to, right. they went game. They went and played on the tables. They went over, there's a movie theater. I don't know if you walked over there's a movie theater. There's a yeah. kid's arcade. There's a Did kid's arcade. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yeah. And so they got a kid's so arcade. So you can take your five-year-old up there. Yeah, just throw them in there. You go over, play yeah. some bets on some, some so games. So we know? actually had a colleague come up and, and watch the game yeah. with us. I don't know if you heard this, but he he went to the tables after and played some blackjack yeah. after the game was over. I think he ended up throwing like 75 bucks and ended up walking out of there with over $500. Hello. Yeah. So... Yeah, the Cowboys lost, but he walked out of there a big winner. See, that's awesome. So, yeah. So that's get yourself great. up to Chalk Talk Casino and, and also, too, just know they're giving over the next two months, they're giving away yep. $2 million. $2 million. Yeah. So get up there. It's it's worth the drive, what's I the, promise. What's the, what's the line? It's just a short drive? A short drive of <laughs> 75. <laughs> we actually had somebody DM us from Connecticut, and they said, I don't even live anywhere near Oklahoma, but I know the saying. It's just a short drive of 75. Yes. <laughs> so, Have we copyrighted that yet? No, not yet. We, well, need, we, to. we need to get credit we for it. <laughs> so anyway, get, get yourself up to Choctaw Casino and Resort. All right, now off to the good stuff. Our final episode, the uh, last section of this book. He's got a section called Advanced Tactics, mm-hmm. how to go from being merely good to being truly great. And he gives three different ways that you can go from being merely good to being truly great. The first one, and Tyler, I'm just going to warn you right now, there is, 
I mean, there's four or five different episodes worth of gold yeah. in this 20 pages, right. this 20 page section. I mean, there's so much good stuff in here. So again, going to be doing a lot of reading, but that's only because yeah. he's going to be able to say this a lot better than we are. So the first thing he says is use your genetics to your advantage. And what does he say about that? He says, the secret to maximizing your odds of success is to choose the right field of competition. This is just as true with habit change as it is with sports and business. Habits are easier to perform and more satisfying to stick with when they align with your natural inclinations and, and, and abilities. The people at the top of any competitive field are not only well-trained, they are also well-suited for the task. And this is why if you want to be truly great, selecting the right place to focus is crucial. The areas where you are genetically predisposed to success are the areas where habits are more likely to be satisfying. The key is to direct your effort toward areas that both excite you and match your natural skills to align your ambition and your ability. <laughs> they couldn't speak more true. Right? I mean, it, if you think about it, we, there's things that we're attracted, especially at a young age. Mm -hmm. It starts at a young age. Like, you know, at five, six years old, you say, hey, I want to be a pro baseball player. Yep. Or I want to be an astronaut. Or I want to, you know, be a police officer. Whatever it is. But as you grow, you really are attracted to the things that naturally um, suit, you, you know, require the skills that you have, right? Because it's easier and you find success. So you're, you gravitate towards those feelings. A lot of times I think people... People want to say, oh, no, I was just born for this, and I just love it because I love it. Well, no, you love it because you found success at right. it. Nobody falls in love with something that, like, for lack of better terms, doesn't love you back. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It would be really hard for me to love doing playing football if I was, you know, if I was a buck, a buck 25 my senior mm -hmm. year, mm -hmm. um, and I just wasn't built for it. Right. Like, you know what I mean? It was never got to play. Weren't never very good played. at it. Yeah. yeah. So it's likely it's, you're not going to be obsessed with it. At yeah. That point. Obsessed with playing. I, I may right. love watching it. Sure. Right. But, sure. but actually the, the doing of it. And, and for example, we, as I transitioned, I got into real, or sorry, I got into insurance when I was out of football, I read out, I came back from Canada and I was in insurance and my skills and my my genetics were not wired right. to do that. To do that job. Because I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, I've got to work my tail off for no money for three years, build it up, and then what's the result? The result is playing golf mm -hmm. three, four days a week. No thanks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it just wasn't something. And Some then people I, are hearing that and are like, sign me up. What is wrong with you? <laughs> but that's the point, right? You're not drawn to that. Yeah. Other people are. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But you had every... What's interesting about that, though, is that you have the personality, you have the skills to be good at that, but it doesn't align with your desires. But even right? my, and, I, and I, maybe it's genetic, it's learned habits and really kind of what it is and, and it's character traits. Maybe that's different than genetics. But for me, what I didn't love was I didn't love that there was no more chase. Like you just coast after mm -hmm. three to five years. It's right. like you got a book of business and you just coast. You get this one here. And I didn't love that. Yeah. And, and so that wasn't, I'm not saying golf isn't what I was, was, didn't like, but just the idea of, okay, you're on cruise control. Right. And I, and I that's not what I was yeah. drawn to, but then, and then I look at, look at football. Right. And, and even more granular for me, it was, okay. I played defensive end. I was moved halfway through college into a position out of necessity mm -hmm. that genetically I have short arms. I'm six foot two, six foot one and three quarters. No, really. You, six foot one yeah. and three quarters. That is. <laughs> You're six foot and a half, maybe. <laughs> you watch your tongue. 
<laughs> you watch your tongue. Uh, but I just wasn't genetically made, and I couldn't accept that. Like, what do you yeah. mean? You're why are you drafting these guys that are six five, two seventy five, run a four six, but they didn't do jack in college? Mm-hmm. And I was and I was upset about it, and I didn't accept it. Well, genetically, they were they were built to perform at that. Right. Just like cyclists are typically built a certain way, mm-hmm. just like CrossFitters are typically built a certain way, the ones that compete at a high level, they all look similar. Gymnasts are built Swimmers, a similar way, yep. right? There's genetic predispositions that help you, right? There's and basketball is the one that everybody goes to, but like there's things that you're built to be successful at and then you start getting good and seeing success mm-hmm. and when you can navigate that, whatever you look like, if you're just average Joe and you're like, well, I don't know what I'm built for. There's nothing. Genetically, you're built to pursue something that you can be good at. You know, whether it's a communication trait that you have that you that you got from your family or whether it's, hey, I can I can mentally process things certain ways or I can look at things certain ways or, hey, I'm a, I'm a rancher. I got really strong hands and I can... I can be a good rancher, whatever it may be. You use those those skills and traits, and then you find success, and that's where that right. hey, the encouragement continues to go. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing he talks about is personality and how it influences your habits. And so from the book, he says, our habits are not solely determined by our personalities, but there's no doubt that our genes nudge us in a certain direction. Our deeply rooted preferences make certain behaviors easier for some people than for others. The takeaway is that you should build habits that work for your that work for your personality. You don't have to build the habits everyone tells you to build. Choose the habit that best suits you, not the one that's most popular. There is a version of every habit that can bring you joy and satisfaction. Find it. Habits need to be enjoyable if they're going to stick. We're in a phase that every influencer, every YouTuber, every media personality is this is the answer. This is what you have to do. And we are judging ourselves based off of what someone else does mm-hmm. or says they have yep. done. And when it doesn't work for us, we get really discouraged and frustrated and our self-confidence drops. And that's not the case. Yeah. You need to do exactly this. You need to understand what works for you and pursue those things. Every plan is going to be your personal trainer. Every single workout plan should have likely been different for each individual. Yep. Each person needs something different. If you put everybody on back squats and power cleans because that's what you knew. They're going to be jacked and ripped. Right. <laughs> Squat heavy, go deep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But you yeah. know what I'm saying? And so, and, and we get discouraged because we have this comparative itis that we're just comparing mm-hmm. ourselves to these other people because they do it. Oh, he does keto. Why isn't that working yeah. for me? Well, you don't have the personality that loves eating just meat and fats. Yeah, right. Yeah. So is it going to work for you? Because, you know, I think of entrepreneurship. Yeah. That's a big thing right now. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody wants to, you know, the big baller lifestyle. The fact of the matter is we are not all built to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Most of us are built to work within a company and work for somebody else. As much as you want to tell yourself that you're a business owner and you're the boss, most of us are not built that way. So that's what I think. That's that's what I think of as an example here is we all think that that's the lifestyle we want. We want to be. Andy Frisella talks about this all the time. He says, trust me, entrepreneurs, people that are working inside of companies are way better off than entrepreneurs. It is not as fancy and and 
lavish as people think it is. You're yeah. on call constantly, but that's just one thing, you know, cause but that's social huge. media has, yeah. has, has made it seem, and it's, and if that's your personality, me personally, that is not necessarily my personality. Yeah. My personality is not one to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I can, I can be a really great employee yeah. and work really well for somebody, but I'm probably not the best business leader. That's yeah. a, that's a weakness. So that's an area of my, that just doesn't jive for me. Right. 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 That's never had it. group projects growing up. I was never the one that had to Let take it. the lead. Yeah. Right. That wasn't, that just wasn't me. Yeah. I'm much better falling in line and not, the, and that's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. There's the, those people are necessary too, but that's what I think of. Well, you're an executor. Like you go, right. I'm going to go get it done. Yes. Yeah. You tell me what to do. I'm going to yeah. get it done that's to the right. best of my ability. Yeah. And, and I, if I have a list, that's how I'm wired. Other yeah. people are like, I want to make the list. Yeah. Whereas me, I like to be given the list. Yeah. And that's just that's just difference in personality. Yeah. So how do you find the right habits for you? He talks about in theory, you can enjoy. And this goes back to your insurance um, example. He says, in theory, you can enjoy almost anything. In practice, you're more likely to enjoy the things that come easily to you. People who are talented in a particular area tend to be more competent at that task and are then praised for doing a good job. They stay energized because they are making progress where others have failed and because they get rewarded with better pay and bigger opportunities, which not only makes them happier, but also propels them to produce even higher quality work. Pick the right habit and progress is easy. Pick the wrong habit and life is a struggle. So how do you pick the right habit? In many cases, when people pick the wrong habit, it simply means they picked a habit that was too difficult. When a habit is easy, you are more likely to be successful. When you're successful, you're more likely to feel satisfied. In the beginning of any new activity, there should be a period of exploration. The goal is to try out many possibilities, research a broad range of ideas, and cast a wide net. This is what you're doing in insurance, right? After this initial period of exploration, shift your focus to the best solution you've found but keep experimenting occasionally. As you explore different options, there are a series of questions you can ask yourself to continually narrow in on the habits and areas that will be most satisfying to you. What feels like fun to me, but has worked for others? What makes me lose track of time? Where do I get greater returns than the average person? And what comes naturally to me? We all have limited time on this planet, and the truly great among us are the ones who not only work hard, but I've also found the good fortune to be exposed to the opportunities that favor us. How good is that? That is so good. I mean, I could think of a hundred. Oh, we could spend another hour right. talking just on yeah. that. Yeah. Right I, I guess the first one that pops in my mind is, is like Joe Rogan. And he talks about this all the time. He talks about, he is getting paid millions of dollars to sit down and talk to people that he is super interested in talking to. And how he found that, he just started, he didn't have any big grand plan of making money, right? He started it 14 years ago just because he wanted to have fun. Yeah. And he's just continually, he keeps talking to people he enjoys talking to. And that's led to this big life and him being one of the biggest influencers literally in the world right now. Because he found would you, something. What would you call him? He's yeah, male, the, the yeah, male, our producer, male he said he's the male Oprah. <laughs> and that's, seriously, because he enjoys what he, he's found something that works for him. Yeah. He's found something he's enjoys that he enjoys, and he's really he's good, good at it. At he's it. gotten really good at it, yeah, because he enjoys it so much. Yeah. It's just a natural fit for him. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, there's there's two, well, there's three three types of people, according to this, um, that that I can think of is there's one that 
they feel discomfort at all. And then, okay, now I got to go shift to this. Mm -hmm. Or I got to, you know, those, those job hoppers, right? They're never, they're never at something for very long. They're always, they're always moving to something else because they haven't explored it long enough to really, truly realize, Hey, can I be passionate about it? And once they met, they meet resistance, they move the other side. And I would say I fall more into this category than any of the three is that when it's hard, you wear it as a badge of honor. And you say, I know I'm going to stick with it. Like it should be hard. Right. And if I'm more, if it's hard for me, then I'm working, I'm working harder than everybody else. And that's an honorable thing to do because now I'm getting better for it. And there's going to be something on the other side of it. The challenge with that is, is that you spend time wait. And I say spend time, waste time doing something when you are really miserable doing it. And I just think even within my job is I'm not, I'm not the type of person that is really good at just hammering out a financial analysis or hammering out lease comments or hammering out an RFP or a market survey. I spent four hours this morning finishing a market survey that could have taken somebody else 30 minutes to do. I spent four hours doing it. And for four years, I was like, I've got to do this. I've got to be able to do this. Yeah. I've got to be able to say I can do this. If I'm going to lead people one day, I've got to be able to do this. Well, the problem is is I've spent so much time. I think of how many opportunities that I've missed pursuing the things that I'm really good at, that I feel like I'm good at. I'm probably not. But creating relationships, finding new opportunities, helping people out, serving here, bringing the opportunities within and then letting other people help me on those things. Yeah. And I, and, and I feel like there's a, there's a, a percentage of the population that we're just stuck in this grind mm-hmm. all the time and we're miserable. And here's what it does is it impacts our, our overall well being because we're depressed, we're stressed. Our family life is on the rocks or in ruins. Our kids are really struggling. And now there's this generational impact because we're doing something that we're not genetically predisposed to be good at Mm -hmm. because of our personality or our actual physical genetics. And then there's the third population, the sweet spot that it's like, they found it. Hey, look, I'm pursuing what I love to do. It does exist. Like the whole cliche of, dude, find something you love. You won't work a day in your life. What I think is a true testament to finding something that your personality aligns with, that your genetics align with is when time goes fast, when it flies by. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm out in the yard on the tractor, time flies by. Dude, I'll be out there all day long. Nobody has to force you to be out there. You just, you just really, really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I call it the golden ticket, right? Some there, there's a lot, not a lot. There's people in our society that have found that quote unquote golden ticket. They love something very, and that's the great thing about, modern times is like there's a guy on Instagram who uh, I think his name is Amari I forget his name he's he's a French and he makes chocolate sculptures hmm. he's got four something four point something million followers makes tons of money making these chocolates he found something yeah. that he loves he became the best in the world at it because he's so drawn to it and he loves it so much mm-hmm. and now he's making a career out of it yeah and I just think about that's the golden ticket right there yeah. what are you just so on fire for just love so much. Nobody has to force you to do it. You're, you're not told, hey, you got to work hard. You just want to do it. Yeah. That's how I was when I was in the training world, to be honest with you. I yeah. would be at the gym all day long. I'd come home, ask my wife this, and I would literally sit on my computer. I would read for hours yeah. about training. Mm-hmm. 
So I would be at the gym all day doing it. And then I'd come home because I was just so obsessed. And that led me to become one of the better trainers at the gym, right? Because I was just, it was just a natural fit. I didn't have to be forced to do it. And that's when you've truly found something special when you can just get lost in it. And for those of you behind the scenes, that's how Ben is with this podcast. <laughs> like he legit is like yeah. the stuff that he's researching. It's, it's right. Awesome. Like reading these books and doing this, like that's not hard for me because I love it. Yeah. Right. And so I don't have to be forced to do it. Yeah. There's other aspects of my day where I'm like this. And I get, you can't always do things. You yeah. just truly like, there's going to be some time, yeah. even if you love and we're actually gonna get that here in a minute. There's gonna be times where no matter how much you love something, there's going to be some, some friction and some boredom there. Yeah. And you got to get through that. But ideally, you find something that aligns yeah. with what you're truly Where into. I think, uh, and this is a question, is, is when does obligation override opportunity? Yeah. No, that's a good question. That's something that I struggle with because if you're, young, if you're 23 and single, he's talking about, talks about exploration, you can be super, uh, what's the, risky. Yeah. Right. You can try a bunch of different things. Yeah. If you're in our position, you're mid thirties, you got kids at home and you got a wife, you got a mortgage. Yeah. You're kind of beholden to whatever it is that you're doing. Whatever, sure. whatever provides the most income is probably what you have to stick with. Yeah. At least for the time being. Yeah. Because your, 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 obli- or your, um, tolerance for risk yeah. is not quite as high. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I think, and, and we've had this discussion offline is, is that's where that grind Okay, look, I'm going to commit myself to 24 months of being diligent in savings, working hard, spending extra time. So I'm up earlier researching outside of my normal work hours, Mm -hmm. spending time to start to create this transition for whatever is next. You've got, you can't, and, and you've got to create, you've got to create that transition point. Yeah. You've got to create, it's not, it's not like, hey, I, uh, man, I've got bills to pay. I can't, I can't do what I love. I've just got to make money. No, like there's time. There's yep. time enough. Yeah. yeah. There's, take care of what you need to take care of, but there's, there's time. There's hours before and after. That's right. So don't, don't settle with being miserable. Like you can fit in that transition to what you are genetically predisposed to be good at. Yeah. Absolutely. You really truly can, but it, that's where that it is going to take a grind. But it's that transition period where, okay, hey, I'm paddling. I'm paddling up that wave. I'm paddling up that wave. I feel like I'm not going anywhere. I feel it not. And then I get to the top, and then I just coast down the backside of it. Yeah, yeah. So how to go from being merely good to being truly great? The first thing is use genetics to your advantage. Number two, he talks about utilizing the Goldilocks rule. You know the story of Goldilocks, right? That's too hot, too cold, just right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole thing. So he says, how do we design habits that pull us in rather than ones that fade away? Scientists have been studying this question for many years. While there's still much to learn, one of the most consistent findings is that the way to maintain motivation and achieve peak levels of desire is to work on tasks of just manageable difficulty. The human brain loves a challenge, but only as if it's within our optimal zone of difficulty. The Goldilocks rule states that human experience, humans experience peak motivation when working on tasks that are right on the edge of their current abilities. Not too hard, not too easy, but just right. When you're starting a new habit, it's important to keep the behavior as easy as possible so you can stick with it even when conditions aren't perfect. Once a habit has been established, however, it's important to continue to advance in small ways. Working on challenges of just manageable difficulty, something on the perimeter of your ability, 
seems crucial for maintaining motivation. Mm. So that was an interesting concept, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think about my kids and my my five year old loves playing sports right now. Loves playing basketball, soccer, baseball, all different sports. And where my mind goes when I think about the Goldilocks rules, how hard do I go on them? Like if we're playing each other, do I just absolutely dominate them? That's the tendency, right? That's, that's well, the be more honest. fun we to do. You put, you put up that basketball hoop because you wanted to drag some across that your, trash kid's in here. Fore, your kid's forehead when you dunk on him. I lower that rim and it's, it's Dunk City at, 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 in Prosper, Texas. No, but it's, it's how do I challenge yeah. him enough, go yeah. hard enough against him so that he sees re- good results, but not make it so easy where he just loses interest. Right. Right? Because I don't want to crush his spirit. Yeah. But I also don't want to make it so easy that I'm just giving it to him, right? He's got to mm-hmm. work for it. So that's that's just where my head first immediately went to. Yeah, is how do I encourage him in that way to want to continue getting better? At yeah, but that, that just takes time. That takes time to learn that child because, like, my two boys are completely different. My my oldest, he needs to see success. When he sees success, man, he he's all in and he and he does it. When, when he meets resistance and he sees failure and he's told he's not good or he loses, he, he just he, he shuts down. Where my youngest, he'll just go. Yeah. So you just got to understand, and that's like in a, in speaking to dads, is you've got to spend the time to know that, to know how to push. Because you may, I mean, you may push one one way, you may push the other the other way. So it's, it, it, it takes time, but it's, again, it's the Goldilocks rule. It's, okay. I'm going to try this with him. Yeah. I'm going to try that. Try that. No, that doesn't work. Okay. Yeah. That one. There we go. That's how he responds. Yeah. So I think about habits. If, if fitness is a habit of, or that you want to implement, like my wife, for instance, right? If she said, I'm going to go all out six days a week, that's probably too difficult, right? That's too hot on the Goldilocks yeah. scale. Whereas maybe two to three days is more manageable. That's enough difficulty for her to see some progress, but it's not too much of a commitment that she's going to give up after two weeks. She just can't sustain it. That's right. Right. So whatever it is, it's your habit. It's finding that, that, that hot and cold zone or right, that just right. All right. We're about to get into the super gold. These next two sections are, like I said, we could do three or four. Didn't we just do different the super, episodes. Didn't we just do the Goldilocks? Not the Goldilocks, but the gold. Oh. <laughs> so he says, uh, how to stay motivated when you get bored. All right says, really successful people feel the same lack of motivation as everyone else. The difference is that they find a way to show up despite the feelings of boredom. The greatest threat to success is not failure, but boredom. We get bored with habits because they stop delighting us. The outcome becomes expected. As our habits become ordinary, we start derailing our progress to seek novelty. Perhaps this is why we get caught up in the never-ending cycle, jumping from one workout to the next, one diet to the next, one business idea to the next. As soon as we experience the slightest dip of motivation, we begin seeking a new strategy, even if the old one was still working. No habit will stay interesting forever. At some point, everyone faces the same challenge on the journey of self-improvement. You have to fall in love with boredom. Stepping up when it's annoying or painful or draining to do so That's what makes the difference between a professional and an amateur. When a habit is truly important to you, you have to be willing to stick to it in any mood. Professionals take action even when the mood isn't right. They might not enjoy it, but they find a way to put their reps in. The only way to become excellent is to to be endlessly fascinated by doing the same thing over and over. You have to fall in love with boredom. 
So just that is is falling in love with boredom. And if you expect that and you have the mindset going into it, like, and you are just even aware of it, saying, all right, the, I love when he said, the greatest threat is not failure, yeah, it's, it's boredom. boredom. Yeah. Like that, if you go in and like, all right, there's going to be times that I'm bored, but guess what? I'm going to fall in yeah. love with that. Yeah. I'm going to fall in love with that face. Because here's the deal, is when it's super chaotic and it's not bored, how much would you give to be bored? Yeah. Think, yeah. Of, think about oh, that I've thought point. about that before. Yeah. You know? And and look, I, dude, the whole time you're saying that, I'm like, I don't even, I don't think I can even talk about this example <laughs> on the podcast, but I'm thinking, I'm going to go there. So husband, husbands and wives, right? It, I, I, there's a there's a level of spontaneity, right? That we okay. that we okay, we're going there. We're All going right. there. Let's we're go. going. There. Let's dive in deep. I'm ready. So there's a level of spontaneity that like we always like, right? It's it becomes monotonous when the when the outcomes become expected, and I think of that professionally. Very much so. It's like, okay, oh yeah, for sure. I'm gonna make this for sure. Yeah. If you this don't know what we're talking like, about, we're talking about sexual intercourse. This, the sexuals. <laughs> but but when it's like, okay, put the kids down at eight o'clock and then we're gonna shower and then we get in bed and then then we have some some me and you time, right? When it when it becomes the same thing over and over and over, our culture and I think our how we've become as a society, it's like, oh, that's boring. Like that. Yeah, I mean, let's let's mix it up. Let's be, yeah, like for sure, that's fun. But here's the thing: is when you get to it, you're telling me that it's still not awesome in the moment of it. Like you're telling me, yeah, no, I'd rather not do it than do it. I mean, you know, is am I wrong? Am I wrong here? There's a lot of places we could have gone. I didn't know we were going down. No, I'm this just route. being. I'm just being. I'm keeping it PG-13 on this one. I'm thinking if. In the moment, like, yeah, you may not have. <laughs> Can we abandon ship here? Yeah, we yeah, we're gonna, we're example? gonna, we're, we're out, we're out. But you may not have all the the extras and and all that yeah. stuff to it and the spontaneity. But it's like, I think of it, we we just get so bored and it's expected and it's like, and then and then that's when we see troubles like in marriages because it's like, oh, like. The outcome's just expected. It's right. not exciting. Like yeah. I'm not mixing it up and I'm not, I'm not guessing all the time. When you, when, if you look at it, you're like, are you really telling me that you would rather not do it, cause your family issues, divide your marriage, than do it missionary? <laughs> like, bro, come on. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and that was my mind when you're like, yeah. oh yeah, doing the same thing over and over. It's boredom. It's like, no, nah, bro, that's not boredom. It's still awesome. So think of it that way. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, when you're in the middle of your day tomorrow, you're like, hey, this is this is missionary, man. Yeah. Missionary is awesome. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how inspiring that is for, for <laughs> listeners uh, to think about you and your sex life, but maybe something that people can relate a little bit more to is, is just, just the ladder of success, yeah. if you will, right? The, uh, the, the pursuit of whatever it is that you're after, whatever it is that your goal is, at some point, monotony comes, boredom comes. And you think about the Michael Jordans of the world or the Kobe Bryants of the world. They said, screw boredom. I don't care how bored I am. There's things that have to get done for me to be the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to fall in love with doing those things. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter if I don't want to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Right? Those are the people that tend to go from merely being good to being truly great are the ones that can fall in love with that process of, yeah. hey, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to do it anyway. 
right? And we've, I think we've had this discussion on this, on this show before yeah. of doing things consistently no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a good section. So hold on, let me be, let me be clear, though, shooting me down, is you're <laughs> going to be more relatable to the audience by giving a Kobe and Michael Jordan <laughs> example. Be like Kobe and Michael Jordan. But I use a missionary yeah, example. Well, you say yeah. my... Yeah. <laughs> True, true. Yeah, moving on, moving on. The last section. So, again, use genetics to your advantage, number one. Number two, utilize the Goldilocks rule. And number three, Tyler, this is the one. This is the one that I wish somebody would grab my face when I was a sophomore in college, shook it, and talked to me about this exact section. And that's called shifting your identity. He says, the more you let a single belief define you, the less, capable you, the less capable you are of adapting when life challenges you. If you tie everything up in being the point guard or the partner of a firm or whatever else, then the loss of that facet of your life will wreck you. When you cling too tightly to one identity, you become brittle. Lose that one thing and you lose yourself. When you spend your whole life defining yourself in one way and that disappears, who are you now? The key to mitigating these losses of identity is to refine yourself such that you get to keep important aspects of your identity even if your particular role changes. I'm an athlete becomes I'm the type of person who is mentally tough and loves a physical challenge. I'm a great soldier transforms into I'm the type of person who is disciplined, reliable, and great on a team. I'm the CEO translates to I'm the type of person who builds and creates things. When chosen effectively, an identity can be flexible rather than brittle. Like water flowing around an obstacle, your identity works with the changing circumstances rather than against them. Like I said, if there is, I mean, these two pages of this 300-page book couldn't have spoken to me more than what he said right there. Because that is, and and most athletes can relate to that. Most former athletes can relate to that. We get so caught up in the thought of this is who I am, this is what I do, that when it's over, because the ball gets the air gets let out of the ball for everybody, you don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. Because you've seen yourself as a player for so long, that's all you've ever wanted to do, that it's hard to then shift to something else. So I love that he says, shifting your mentality to I'm an athlete, right? That's what I am. No. Maybe you say, I'm the type of person who loves, who is mentally tough and loves a physical challenge. Yeah, so, so one thing that I've learned, because you're right, uh, I, I was an athlete. I struggled with the identity shift. I really struggled with it. I prepared myself for it. I called it out. I acted like I was okay, uh, but I struggled with it. But here's the other thing, too, is it's not just athletes. It's not just veterans. It's not, it's not just first responders. Um, it's mom i mean think about moms yeah like for example my wife she went through something called the sparrow conference um there's a there's a lady named rachel um out in the dallas area um that we are going to get on the show and it's incredible and what she does is she takes you through this identity training and creates your own personal personal mission statement and what's what's important about it is when you are shifting your identity from Hey, I'm a CEO. I'm a, I'm an athlete. I'm a mom. I'm a whatever it may be. Is you shift your identity into something that cannot be taken away, something yeah. that is eternal. Mm-hmm. So I'm, um, you know, it, 
I'm a follower of Christ. Nobody can ever take that away from me. Yep. Right? Or, hey, I am an empathetic. I am a servant. I am a uh, motivator. I am whatever it may be. And so, like, she went through this with Tiffany, and it it shook her. And, and, and this specific deal is you look through, you walk through your entire story to build this mission statement because every life experience that you have creates some form of your identity and who you are. And if you can say it and you can verbally say, okay, hey, this is who I am. And all of those pieces and all those descriptive words that you use to describe your identity are things that nobody can take away from you. Nobody can take away from you that I love those that are hard to love. Mm-hmm. Like nobody can take that away. If right. you if you commit to to like loving on people that a lot of people hate, despise, whatever, or um, I, I, nobody can take away that I am going to serve those in need, or I'm going to protect those that face injustice, or whatever it may be. Those are things that nobody can tangibly take away from you. I could take away you being an athlete. I yep. could blow out your knee. I could take away your CEO job when the company gets bought and you get fired because a private equity company has their other CEO. I could take away your job as a police officer. I could take away your job as a teacher. But I, I hate to say it, I mean, it's dark, but I can take away you being a mom in a, in a heartbeat. And there's mothers all across the globe that are now not mothers mm-hmm. because they've lost their kids. Yeah. So again, when you choose the identity, choose something that nobody can take away and is something that is going to last. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before, but when I when I was done playing ball, you know, an injury was what I what's easy to say that that took my career from me. It wasn't really that, right? It, it was more of a talent thing, and right, just not the right time, not the right place. But I can remember my first few years because I was so wrapped up and I had it all figured out right I was going to the pros there was no doubt about it that was what I was going to do that's who I was going to be so I was so wrapped up in that identity that the first few years after I was done playing I mean ask my wife the marriage was rough because I was so in such a not depressed but I was in just such a funk from this life that I thought I should be living that I didn't get to live out and so if somebody had told me now I probably wouldn't have listened but if somehow I could have just grasped that concept of, yeah. dude, your identity is that you're that you love to work hard, right? You're yeah. obsessive, and and you go after things that you want. That's your identity. Yeah. It's not that you're the tight end for whatever pro team. Yeah. Right. Your identity is that you are. Can, you can be counted on. You're a good team player. Yeah. You love to be a part of a team. If I had put my identity into those things. The transition would have been a much yeah. easier. It still would have been hard yeah. because I couldn't just completely shut that off. But if I had been warming myself up to that over the years of thinking, no, these are skills that are going to translate whether I'm a football player, I'm a trainer, I'm a real estate, it doesn't matter. This identity that I have is going to go with me forever. Yeah. As opposed to what I did do, which was I'm a football player. Yeah. Well, now football is gone. Now what am I? Who am I? Right. And I think a lot of us struggle with that because we're not taught this. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, those two pages for me, that's going to change the way that I raise my boys. Yep. And again, yes, they're probably going to get caught up in being an athlete and, and being known. But I want to make sure I remind them of the skills and the talents and the identity, who they truly are, yeah. what as you, opposed to what they do. That's exactly right. That is not the value that you bring. The value that you bring to society, to your community, to your peers 
is not what you do, it's who you are, mm. right? And that's and, what that, most, and, and you said important. it best, that can't be taken from you. No. There's not a single entity that can take that away from that's you. That's right. Uh, we, we went, uh, we were in Disney last week, and uh, one of the days while we are waiting for our plane is we went and saw a movie, and we saw the Kurt Warner, the true underdog story. If you haven't seen it, See, I want to see it, but it looks so a little cheesy. It's a little cheesy. Okay. A little bit. A little like bit. It's like PG-13, right? That needs yeah. to be a rated R movie. <laughs> <laughs> I need a whole bunch of cussing. Yes. <laughs> I, um, but it's it's a little bit. A little bit. But for me, dude, it's... So it's... And this is not me trying to compare myself to Kurt Warner, but Kurt uh, and his wife were producers on it, so they were really involved in the story. Um, and they did an incredible job is when he graduated from Northeastern Wisconsin or North, Northeastern Iowa State, yeah, whatever college he went yeah. to, right? There's a, there's a scene in there where he, he tried out for Green Bay. He got one opportunity. He said, all right, Warner, you're in. He's like, I just got here. I don't know the plays. And he got cut the next day. Mm -hmm. And then he goes back to his hometown, and he's dating this girl who already has two kids, and He's working in a grocery store, and he's literally stocking shelves. Like the other story, everybody knows he worked at a grocery yeah. store. Well, a kid walks by and is like, hey, Mom, that's Kurt Warner because he knew him from college. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, you have lived through this. I have lived through this somewhere in your hometown. Someone reinforces that they know you as a football player. Right. And it's that shot in the ego. And, man, it brought me back to that time that I was out of ball and how hard I was really struggling because – I was known as a football player, but I didn't have footballs. Right. Football was taken away from me. Yep. And I was working at a sports bar. I'm literally bussing tables. I'm literally picking up half-drinking beers, pouring it into a bucket, picking up plates, you know, got ketchup all over my shirt. People are going in and like, dude, aren't you yeah. – Tyler, what are you doing here? When they go, what are you working here for? And it's like, yeah, dang. Shot. But that movie paints that picture so well, and they did a really good job through that. And it was not until he shifted his identity. dude. It's mm. crazy. And how he did it, and I went through something similar at the time, and it was like he shifted, and that's when he flourished. He's like, look, I'm letting ego go. I'm letting that identity go, and I'm just going to go be a good teammate. Yeah, I'm going to go be a good player. Yeah, I went through something similar that you're talking about. My first job out of college. So here I am, college degree. Thought I was going to go play professional football, and I moved furniture for the first year. Mm. I was literally, but not just moving furniture. I was a part custodian yeah. at the place. So I'm literally cleaning toilets, yeah. sweeping bathroom floors. Couldn't be further yeah. from where I thought I was going to be yeah. that year. Yeah. And that was the biggest identity hit for me yeah. because, again, I didn't take time oh. to focus on the things and the aspects that, it, that could translate to something else. Yep. I spent all my time thinking that one thing was everything at yeah. the moment, at that yep. time. And so that's why it was super hard for me. And, yeah. and again, I think a lot of people go through that when they transition from one thing to and the it's next. And really, it's really hard to take really successful positive steps when your self-esteem is under attack. Mm -hmm. And when your identity is in something that is taken away or that goes away or times out or whatever – your self-esteem is under attack and it's really hard to progress. But if, if you are, if you are protecting that self-esteem with saying, okay, no, that's not who I was. Like mm -hmm. I am the person that shows up when my friends need me. I am the person that stays up late and, and does the things that the others aren't willing to do. I'm the, that's your identity. That transition just becomes so much more seamless. Right. right. And that can translate to anything that you that's do. Right. 
So that's a wrap, man. That's that's a great way to end it. This this book, uh, this series. Um, I am curious what you know as we look back at this last mm. you know four episodes back look back on the book. What were some of your biggest takeaways? What what did you what are you going to apply day to day that you learned in this book? Yeah. So there's there's this last one for sure, right? This yep. this the the gold right yep. that we were talking about this last little section. You know, when it comes to identity, when it comes to understanding what your talent, what you're, what you're genetically predisposed to be good at and to have success at, and then pursuing those. So that's important. But the two other ones that, that really were stuck to me, and you challenged it, you didn't like it, but the two-minute rule. <laughs> I think that, and that was one that I, like, had to go home and talk to Tiffany about, was it was like, listen, it's, it's for me, okay, getting up and turning my laptop on. My only, my only, and it, my only goal is to be up and have my laptop open at 5 a.m. and get an hour of just open it up and then I can go back to bed before I go work out at six hmm. or whatever it is. But get up two minutes to start the habit, yeah. just to start it. And that's something that you pick something that is easy to achieve. And guess what? This morning when I was up at five and I opened up my laptop, guess what I did? I stayed and worked yeah. until I had to leave. So it was, it's... Otherwise, it would have been like, oh, my gosh, I don't, I've got, like, two hours of, like, things that i got to do before my 8 o'clock call, and i got to work out, all this stuff, right? The two-minute rule, I really like that one. Um, and then the other one is, is picking, picking habits that you know that you can sustain mm. and, and being, being specific about yourself and being honest with yourself and, and choosing something that, look, I'm not going to create a habit that, and go so all in that I can't continue to do it yeah like know who i am know know like what my threshold is yeah yeah that's so. good yeah i wrote down four things i wrote the first thing i wrote down is systems versus goals i love that section talking about that shifted my mentality from you know you put this big goal out there yeah but then you never set up a system in place to get to that big goal yeah and just how important the daily activities are yeah so i love that discussion uh designing your ideal environment I thought that was yeah. brilliant because again, it makes so much sense, but how many of us try to eat healthy yet we have crap in our goldfish and yeah. cereal in our, in our pantry, right? Or, or cookies goldfish. or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so designing your ideal environment for whatever habit that is that you're yeah. after. The third thing I wrote down is activity versus productivity. Yeah. Again, that was absolute, absolute gold of, I tend to fall in, into a lot of activity yeah. I tend to fall into a lot of things that are safe and comfortable and that feel like I'm making progress. And I tend to avoid the discomfort of actually doing productive activities and productive work. Things that are a little scary on the threshold of yeah, just check the fear. box activities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Checked about it because again, it makes me feel like I'm making progress. So that was challenging for me and convicting for me. And then the identity. I mean, yeah. that, I know that's fresh in our minds. You know, um, we just talked about that, but to me, that was such a good concept that, again, I'm going to pass on to my boys and anybody else who will listen of what parts of your identity can you hold on to that nobody can ever. And I love how you said that. Nobody can ever take that away from me. Yeah. So those are the four big takeaways for me. I love this book. Again, a must read for anybody listening to this podcast. We're actually going to yeah. make it very easy for two of you, two lucky people, uh, if you're watching on YouTube. We've actually got two copies that we purchased, uh, and we're going to give these away. 
because that's how much this book meant to us. That's how much we enjoyed it. Yep. We want uh, you to be able to read it as well. So we're going to have an Instagram giveaway contest, if you will. So go check out our Instagram after this episode goes live. Go look for details on our Instagram. Our Instagram is at one.shot.pod. One shot pod. One uh, spelled out. One spelled out. That's right. Um, and again, we're going to give these away to two lucky winners. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to go out and buy the book. But whoever you are, even if you don't win these books, go out and yeah, get the book. Go get the book. Buy a couple. Yes. Share, them, share yes. them with people that you think that could benefit yes. from it. If Absolutely. You, if you got anything. And again, we breeze through this. There's so yes. much. We could have gone so much deeper into this book. But get a couple because it's going to... It will impact your life. Absolutely. And it will impact others if you share it. Yep, absolutely. So that wraps up Atomic Habits. Uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy our next series, which is going to be more on leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a couple of episodes there that we're going to, that we got planned for you guys, and I think you really enjoy it. If you're liking these episodes, let us know. Leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. That's one way that can move us up in the rankings and really help us reach more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way you can support us is by following us on Instagram, like I said at one.shot.pod, and then our YouTube channel. We're also on YouTube as well. If you want to consume these, we film every single episode. Uh, if you want to watch these and, and clips and things like that, it's just a good resource so we can put a little bit more content out. We appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for sticking with us. The podcast is growing every week, so that means you guys are sharing it, and we really appreciate it. Send this to a couple of your friends. Uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you on Monday.